And it is a Monday with your favorite fellas, and luckily there's no news breaking today. Yeah, right. We'll get into it now. The Trojan Sports Podcast kicks off. Direct from Rivals in Yahoo Sports. This, this is the Trojansports.com Podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You love 33. You better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean right? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the okay. beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. This is sports. We start Mark. Yeah. Blair Angulo. What's his name? Blair Angulo with the recruiting information you crave. The J is for what, Adam? I'm going to punch you. <laughs> and yes, and yes, your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> I don't know why I said I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know, Ron. Chris Morales. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? That's really a good one. Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Now. Here is your host from the Yahoo Sports headquarters in Playa Vista. Chris Morales. As the man says, welcome in to Trojan Sports Talk. The Trojan Sports Podcast is on from Trojansports.com on your Monday, December 7th, 2015. A day which will live in infamy in U.S. history and world history, but unfortunately, probably some Trojan history as well. The fellows are here. Adam J. Maya, beat reporter for Trojan Sports. Chris P. Swanson, the publisher of Trojan Sports as well. Blair Angulo, our recruiting expert, is scheduled to appear later on. We will get into Stanford USC Saturday night, of course. The Pac-12 championship game at Levi Stadium. The fellows were there 41-22. The Cardinal beats the Trojans, but Monday morning news as usual. It seems like now the pattern, right? Chris P. Swanson? Yeah, um, it, it is a pattern with USC. It's, it's, it's more than a pattern. It's just, it's just every day. There's always news breaking. We never get a day off. Yeah, they're keeping um, you busy. They do. Um, yeah, Major staff changes yesterday, you know, while Adam and I were walking around in San Francisco having a good time trying to relax. Uh, you know, we found out that uh, they made sweeping changes to the staff. Clay Helm later confirmed it. Uh, Justin Wilcox out. Keith Hayward out. Chris Wilson out. Uh, Bob Connolly out. Uh, so interesting because they're keeping a couple guys, too. Uh, so... I don't know what to think. I was expecting the major changes. I wasn't expecting them to really keep anybody or some of the guys they did keep. So I, I think it's just uh, it's just interesting um, to see who they did keep, who they got rid of, who they're kind of blaming for things going wrong. I think even though they, you know, they're not going to say that. It's kind of apparent uh, how they feel about it. So staff changes across the board. We kind of expected this. Now Adam J. Maya is not a lawyer. But he might have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express one time. Uh, Adam, what is the now new legal wrinkle, though, that's breaking this morning? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, Steve Sarkeesian is suing the university for wrongful termination. And TMZ (laughs) is reporting that, and usually TMZ is right. So he is claiming, of course, wrongful termination against the American with Disabilities Act, because alcoholism is a disability, and he wants more than $30 million. 
And the yep. basic point on this one, and uh, Swanee, you said it right before we, uh, we began our show, is this all could have been avoided if they just would have paid him, right? Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand why uh, USC tried to make it a conduct issue, why USC, you know, thought that they could fire him with cause. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. USC has plenty of lawyers. Maybe they're on the right here. I'm not sure. But now you're in a situation where you're looking at losing a lot of money unless you settle with Steve Sarkeesian. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what USC decided to do is just settle out of court and get rid of, you know, all the controversy surrounding this and all the headlines. But you do wonder, why not just pay out his contract? You know, you fired him. Every other coach you fire, you've paid, you know, paid them out. Uh, you know, in the terms of their contract, they have some kind of agreement of, you know, how much the school is going to owe you if, if you get fired. Just pay Steve Sarkeesian. You know, he's been good to the university. He's a friend of the university. I don't understand why... They tried to say they fu- could fire him with cause. They don't have to pay him. It's just really, it, it's it's kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, I, I saw s- this coming from a mile away, honestly. When I first heard they thought that they could fire him with cause and, and that they weren't going to pay him, I was, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if Steve Sarkeesian is going to have something to say about that because it didn't seem right to me either. Um, and I th- We had this discussion earlier, I think, when he did get fired about you know, kind of the delicate nature of handling an alcoholism case, uh, somebody that's trying to get help and trying to get better. Um, to me, it seemed like USC handled it wrong. I'm not a lawyer, but we'll see what happens. Um, I have a feeling this is going to get settled out of, outside of the courtroom, though. Well, and I remember that show when we talked about alcoholism. I shared uh, some of my family's uh, trials and tribulations, and of course my own, but I have never actually entered a program or, or had to use work protection, but uh, a family member has very close to me, and they are so protected. Uh, and the, this person, my mother, I'll just say it, uh, works for a major corporation uh, that is you know, a Wall Street public corporation. So they protected her and, and took care of her for months and months, and all was good for, for many years, knock on wood, and thank God for that. But it's just amazing that major corporations have such an – everyone listening to this, if you have a job at any company these days – there's standard protocol, there's human resources, and like you said, USC's got plenty of lawyers in a university with so much money, so much power, and so many lawyers, you'd think somebody would have done their due diligence, simply whether right or wrong, just so this doesn't come up. So this isn't what we're talking about on a Monday after a team plays for the Pac-12 championship game. Wait, am I protected under Swanson Publishing? Yeah, uh, no. Well, no, you know what? I, it depends on how the contract's written. Uh, you may I have some you? protection. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking I don't, the other... Oh, I don't think so, Adam. I um, really don't think you should ask either Chris on this show anything to do with about human resources. <laughs> well, Adam's an independent contractor. Oh, uh, see, that's so how you get around sure. it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he's not protected at all. <laughs> so that means you can't do anything about that picture I just texted you, Adam. See, you're not protected. <laughs> oh, guys, Pac-12 championship game. You guys were there in the Bay Area. And before we get into the game, well, actually, we're going to save it for when Blair and Gubo's with us for a little road trip story. I want to hear what the latest trials and tribulations are um chris swanson you called this score almost to the t almost we were we were all kind of waiting for the the swanee uh the swanee prediction to pan out there i think it's amazing though that if you go back both times stanford puts up 41 uh usc didn't do as well as the last time they didn't put up 31 points they put up 22 so let's get into the game and i'll start with you adam all right there's a lot here and 
some of it kind of almost feels irrelevant because the bowl game is irrelevant, and then the team that will take the field next year will be quite a bit different with a different coaching staff. But, you know, we're here. They played. Let's just talk about the game a little bit. Um, I felt like they had a chance. I know they got out to a, a really bad start, and Stanford kind of dominated the clock, and they had the ball like the entire first quarter, and they were up 13 nothing. and USC had had like two short possessions. But the defense actually came up pretty big early on. And, you know, a couple stops in the red zone held Stanford to field goals. It could have been 21 nothing, and it was 13 nothing. And so I felt like USC had a chance. And while a lot of people are going to point to the defense, and I understand when Christian McCaffrey collects, like, 1,200 yards of offense in one game, it's pretty justified. <laughs> At the same time, this offense didn't put the team in position to win either. And when the offense isn't maintaining possessions, then you're putting the defense back onto the field, and it's inevitable that you're going to give up points. And so it's a two-way street. I felt like both sides of the ball let them down. And I'm just kind of tired of the offense, I feel like, probably in the same manner that a lot of people are tired of the defense. Chris, it's amazing to me that, and I texted this to our own boy on Google on Saturday, is how we continue to make Kevin Hogan look like a second coming every time we play him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he did, he looked that way without even doing much. I mean, he only threw 12 passes, I believe, and, yep. you know, he, it was, he was incredibly efficient and it, just a compliment, really, to the the one-man wrecking crew that was Christian McCaffrey. Um, but, you know, I don't – it's it's I, it's hard for me to judge USC because, to me, they're just – they're a five-loss team. They play like a five-loss team. You know, their their offense is atrocious. Honestly, it's, it's embarrassing how bad their offense is for a USC team to not be able to throw the ball downfield or to, to open up a running lane. I mean – their explosive plays come when their running backs just make something happen out of nothing. I mean, I look at this USC team and I think they have very good receivers and very good running backs, but they have the ninth best quarterback of the Pac-12 and they have an offensive line that's horrible. They ain't doing anything on offense. They can't move the ball, really. I expect when they play Wisconsin, I don't think they're going to score like at all, honestly, uh, going up against that kind of a defense. And then I look at the defense, and they're they're okay. I don't think they're awful. I know Christian McCaffrey went wild on them, but how are they supposed to do anything when when the offense can't even score twenty one points? I feel like if you hold a team to three touchdowns in the Pac twelve, that's a victory. Well, USC's offense can't score more than three touchdowns, no matter who they play. So I don't really know how the defense is supposed to win them a game. Uh, the defense isn't great; it isn't even good, but it's much better than than their offense, which is just awful right now. Just very, very bad. Yeah, you mentioned the offense, and they haven't scored more than three touchdowns um, since the Utah game, outside of the Arizona game. The Arizona game they did. But other than that, that was six games. They've only scored more than three touchdowns that one time. That That's not enough to win in the Pac-12 
And the reason why they won the games that they did between Utah and Stanford were because of the defense, because of uh, the the touchdowns that they scored, because of the special teams and the Dory Jackson. I mean, I feel like this offense is capable of scoring 40 points a game, but is not approaching it that way. You know what I mean? Like they're not they're they're approaching it like it's like the the 2018 that could hold everybody to 10 points, and so they just want to score 20 and and win like that, you know, very conservatively, and and that worked with like probably the best defense in USC history, which this is not, and so no, I, I don't I don't like the way they're they're managed at all. Uh, I'm not done yet. I mean, <laughs> I, I I think I don't want to be too mean here, but I feel like Cody Kessler sucks the life out of the offense. He only targets Juju. He won't use, you know, 75% of the field. Um, he holds on to the ball too long. He, I, I don't think he's comfortable, like, with any kind of pressure. You know, it just, it, I don't know if the, the protection packages are, are bad or if he's not making the right call, but so it, it's so easy to defend him at this point. And it wasn't like this last year. It, it was very, very different. I mean, they regularly were putting up 40 plus points and he was throwing for 300, 400 yards, four, five, six touchdowns. And we were kind of knocking it because we thought it was against inferior competition, but they generally were playing the same people that they're playing now. I mean, the schedule wasn't that much different other than this year they played Oregon and Washington, and, and Oregon's not a great defense. So it really doesn't make sense how he's regressed, but um, I, I think uh, you know, a lot of people are, are, are wondering why don't they run the ball more, and we've wondered that aloud, and I think it's because of him. In a weird way. So follow me here. Yeah, because but he's not. If right. the other team knows that you're going to... Right, he's no threat. So if the other team knows that he's not a threat and they're not afraid of him beating them downfield, then they can just defend USC in such a way where they keep everything in front, everything underneath. They give him the three, four-yard you know, pass, and they can load up on the running game. And so USC has to, like, pick its spots to run the ball. Um, the, the numbers from the, from Saturday night were incredible. Where they, they averaged 7.2 yards per run play and 3.7 yards per pass play. And they only ran 28 times, and they threw – they had 41 pass plays, 37 passes from Cody, and then four sacks, which, you know, they were pass plays. And – and so we, I feel like those numbers should be flipped around. But I understand that if you did run more, well, I, I think they should have run more. I'm not going to defend that they, they, they couldn't have run more. But if, if they were running 45 times, it would not be effective because they're being, they wouldn't even be throwing the ball. You know, you, you have to throw the ball to some degree to run the ball that well. Um, at least that's where they're at. Stanford can get away with it. Oregon can get away with it. Kevin Hogan had 12 passing attempts. 
And so I know I'm saying a lot of things here. I hope people can follow me here. But because Cody is so non-threatening, they like they can't run the ball as much as they want to. Like they, they have to use him more than they want to. It's just weird, bizarro catch twenty two that they're in. There's one thing I do know, Adam, is that after watching their offense play the last few weeks, I want to keep almost all the coaches that are on offense and fire all the <laughs> defensive coaches. That makes sense. And the coach who is, you know, what he was the offensive coordinator. Yeah, I want him to be my head coach, you know, because they're so good on offense. Oh, man. It just continues, doesn't it, the fun and frivolity? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so with that, our big bowl game. I know everyone's excited. The Holiday Bowl, December 30th. Wisconsin champs. Are we the defending holiday? Oh, we are. The press release that was was sent to us said defending holiday bowl. Or USC looks to defend its holiday bowl. Cue the horn on that one, please, everybody. (laughs) Defending holiday bowl champions. Your USC Trojans and Wisconsin going to play in San Diego. Uh, Blair will shed some light on why I hate the Badgers so much. It's more a basketball thing, but I do hate the Badgers just in general. So. I hate the Badgers for this game as well. It'll be played December 30th at 730 at Qualcomm Stadium. This, the 38th edition of the Holiday Bowl. Adam, will you have an official Holiday Bowl program for me? You want one? Why not? No, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> you, you don't want, I you could don't add it that. to my collection of Rose Bowl programs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, They're the same thing, those two games. Are like the same. No, yeah, yeah, it's all the same thing. Okay, yeah. so last Monday we all huddled around the campfire and talked about Clay Helton. Now, of course, maybe. In my dreams, that's how I feel. I feel like we're just huddling there. Chris has some marshmallows and some other things he's burning. Adam is just annoying us and, and not letting us have an, or a word in edgewise. But we huddle every week with you, the listeners, on this campfire. And we talked about Clay Helton. Now, Swanson literally lit a match on Pat Hayden, uh, but none of it was uh, against Clay Helton. And a lot of people were very excited coming off of the UCLA win, headed to this Pac-12 championship game. Now a Monday is here. They get dismantled by the Cardinal. They're going to play the Holiday Bowl. How do we feel about Clay Helton now? Adam, you you want to take? You want me? To I go? want you to start because then I want Chris to end it so we can light a match as we go to break. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way I did then. You know, on a personal level, I'm I'm happy for him, and I know he's going to work hard. I know that the the kids are in good hands, and because things have been so rough for so long, that I think it became a very sentimental thing. Um, I I don't think that was. Um, good enough reasoning to justify the hire, but that's already done. You know, I'm kind of moving on past why he should or shouldn't have been hired. But in terms of a a ball coach, if we want to talk about that, I think that the Stanford game left a lot more questions than it answered. Right? I mean, can you win 14 games with Clay Helkin? Because that's what you have to do now to win a national title. You have to win 14 games with that playoff, with the conference title. You know, 10 years ago, Pete Carroll, it took 12 wins, maybe 13 if you were going undefeated. Now, you have to win 14 games. And there's no way you can say that, you know, with with confidence that that can happen. No, 
How could you? He's five and three through eight games. They're zero and three against teams that with a pulse. They're good. <laughs> He's been outclassed by three other head coaches in eight games that they've played. And those are people I, on his schedule every year. Yeah, it's he. He's not. Like they play. Got their, yeah, they're got. They're just gonna meet every five years. They're gonna play Oregon. They're gonna play Stanford every year. They're gonna play Notre Dame every year. Yeah, so it's not like Nick Saban outcoached him or Urban Meyer in a, outcoached him in a bowl game, and you know it's these these are these are teams are going to play every year. They're and they're far ahead of USC. It seems like in terms of coaching, uh, I I mean this he got outclassed in this game. He got outclassed against Oregon, uh, Notre Dame. You that's kind of a weird game just because of that whole week. So I don't really want to say that, but. I'm not confident at all. I think I made that clear, you know, before this game too. And uh, it's I feel the same way. I don't understand it. I just I just don't understand uh, why he's USC's coach. I mean, I, I don't think he's ready. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But I have a feeling that after the Alabama game, first week of the season, he'll be 5-5 five and five at USC. And, you know, we'll be wondering, why did this happen? Yeah, I mean... I guess the first order of business was gutting the coaching staff, which seemed kind of hardcore within 24 hours of the game. But I guess that's the nature of the business. He noted on his Sunday teleconference that he did that in the best interest of their career because he knew what he was doing, and or he knew that he would he would be doing that, and so it was better to let them go immediately so that they could try to find other work. Um, it was a little bit interesting to hear the, the coach speak because just on Monday, last Monday, he had said, I'm going to wait till the end of the year to evaluate the staff and go from there. And while technically he did that, how much of an evaluation was there on, on Sunday after they played Saturday night? And so, um, you know, he, he, uh, <laughs> you just have to, you have to be careful to, to believe everything that someone says or, or, or buy everything that they're saying. You know, we, we've learned that with, with any coach and, and now we're seeing it, you know, he, he's got his program and, um, it's going to bring out, uh, different parts of him, you know, and that's, that's understandable. But I think we're just still learning who he is. And, and I knew that he would do this. I, I didn't know that he would do it so soon. I knew that he would do it because uh, I even said it. I, I wrote it on Twitter, and then he kind of said it after the fact. And um, I, was, I was surprised that he acknowledged it. But he said, you only get to be the USC coach once. And, and so he has to do it his way. He has to get the guys in there that he trusts. If you're going to lose or if you're going to go down, if, you're, if this opportunity uh, doesn't work out, you, you want to know that you did it your way. And that, that, was, that was a big Pete Carroll thing. He thought that he, he felt like he didn't do that in the NFL. And so when he came to USC, it was like, okay, well, if, if I fail here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out swinging and I'm going to do it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have any regrets. And so I think Helton is operating under that thinking where – He'll probably bring in his brother and, you know, as an offensive coordinator. I don't know that yet, but it would make a lot of sense. Is that and the great not- Hank Helton? No, I'm, Hank- just, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. 
Tyson. No, no, no. Thank you. I was but, just uh, trying to loosen it up a little bit. Okay, but um, maybe he brings back Ed Orgeron. We've heard that there's been contact there. Clancy Pendergast is a guy that we know that he really had a lot of respect for and that he worked with and had success with USC in 2013 while Helkin was in the mix um, and taking on a bigger role after they let go of Lane Kiffin. So he's going to bring in some people, probably some other former assistants that he worked with that he believes can win. You know, and he, he's going to, I think he'll be urgent about that. You know, he said he'll take his time in terms of who he'll hire or, or when he'll make the hire, but I don't think he'll compromise any of the hirings. And I think that's the way you have to go about it. Yeah, I want to jump back into staff changes a little bit because earlier yeah. in the show when, when Chris Morales said, talk about the breaking news. There's so much breaking news at USC. I didn't know what I you thought, were talking about. <laughs> I thought he was talking about staff changes. I didn't know he was talking about uh, the TMZ news that uh, Sarkeesian suing in the school. So this is just this is just my thought. And, and I understand, you, you know, USC was going to clean house. It was obvious. Uh, it makes sense. I know, you know, almost every USC fan was for Justin Wilcox getting fired or whatever, and some of these guys losing their jobs. I understand that. What doesn't make sense to me is that Clay Helton has had more time to to prove himself at USC than any of these coaches, and the offense is atrocious. Justin Wilcox and these defensive coaches have not had much time to prove themselves. They came in last year, introduced a new system, and they're in year two. Uh, and the team's gone through, you know, a coach getting fired and all these distractions. And actually, the defense has improved uh, this season. Why? It just seems so, okay. It just seems so curious to me that they basically get no chance to prove themselves at USC and they get fired. Um, and yet, USC is retaining Helton, as I mentioned, who's had years there. The offense is terrible. He hasn't really developed any quarterbacks as a quarterback's coach. And then they're keeping coaches on this staff. And I'm wondering to myself, how do we know these other coaches aren't the problem? And we know that all these coaches that you're firing are the problem. T. Martin's been there for years and years and years, and USC hasn't won anything. Uh, Marquis Tuiasa-Sopo didn't even have a position group to coach, really. You know, I don't know why Peter Sermon is is so, you know, uh, uh, desirable to keep. It's just Johnny Nansen. Wait, 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 hold on. Before you get to Johnny. Okay. (laughs) Recruiting. All three of those guys. That's why. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying we know. Come on. We we know. But but it's stupid. We even predicted. Yeah, we even predicted that they would retain Martin and Tuiasopo months ago. It's stupid, though. USC can't recruit itself. You need you need Timar in there to get wide receivers to USC. What has USC ever had a problem getting wide receivers? Like, yeah. give me a break. These guys don't need to stick around for recruiting. Every commit they have right now hold like two are from California. All these kids are going to stick, even if they hired Mickey Mouse to be the coach <laughs> at USC. It's brain dead thinking. To, to keep so many coaches from this staff and then to fire the ones that didn't even have a chance to prove themselves. Really? I mean, they had two seasons. Team Warren and Clay Helen have had, what, six? And USC hasn't done anything. So it just it's just like a bizarro world to me. I don't understand it. I say fire everybody, you know, like, and start over. Like, why aren't they doing that? And then, okay, now we're going to get to Johnny Nansen. 
Why? Why are you keeping Johnny Nansen? The special teams have been so bad ever since he arrived. If you're going to keep him, at least fire him as your special teams coach. That's all. That's all I have to say. I'm done. That's my rant on that. You're not going to drop the mic. Drop the mic right there. Very good. Well, there you go. Can the latest, kinda, kinda yeah, add Adam. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, Just give it a little room. We're just giving a little room for the latest rant of the week. This is going to be a new feature on TrojanSports.com. <laughs> I, so. I think it makes things more entertaining. It does. Now, Adam, your rebuttal. We hear over and over that USC is the most talented team in the Pac-12, and it doesn't just come from the media or fans. Even the coaches regularly on the conference calls before the game or at Pac-12 Media Day will make that point about USC. But it doesn't, they don't look like the most talented team in the Pac-12 week in and week out. You know I mean? Like there, there's a disconnect there. I mean, they didn't look like the most talented team versus Stanford versus Oregon, even versus Notre Dame. And so, I mean, I know they're not in the Pac-12, but the, the point is we know there's a lot of talent. And we know that they're one of the more talented teams in the Pac-12, if not the most. And so <laughs> it, it's no mystery here. If they, if they have that much talent, but they don't look like it, they don't play like it, then what's the problem? Are you asking? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you just fill it in for me, but I can oh, go. Coaching. It, co- coaching. It's co- yeah, it, it's, it's player development. It's schemes, it's personnel usage, all these things. I just think that there, there's so much to be resolved right now. I mean, here's a very simple one that we've mentioned, I think, 13 out of 13 weeks. Adore Jackson, who has to be used on offense more. Okay, there, there's some games where it's going to be a little bit harder to get him involved. You're going to wear him out, and he, he might be needed in the secondary. But he's, he's, able, he's capable of playing 90 plays. Not that you have to do that every week, but my point is I, I get that there, there are certain games in which maybe you wouldn't you know, run him out there on offense as much. Stanford is not one of them. In fact, that is a game maybe as much as any, in which he can play almost a, a part-time to full-time role on offense. And what did they do? He got the ball one time, he broke off a 27-yard run, and he was never seen again. Do you know what he did on defense, Chris Swanson? Nothing, because Stanford didn't throw the ball. Yeah, they, they, threw, they threw 12 times, <laughs> and... and he, he had two tackles. Like, that's what you got out of a Dory. You got two tackles out of him because they only attempted 12 passes. I mean, that's just, like, obvious. And Helton knows that. And that's why against Utah, who, you know, is maybe a little bit similar. Um, they're, they're not nearly as good as Stanford, but they're, they're constructed a bit similarly. He played, I think, 40 plays on offense and two plays on defense because they didn't need him on defense. And here we are in the Pac-12 title game, and you're facing one of the top five teams in the country who's averaging like 40 points a game. 
and you don't use him on offense. And you do use him on defense where he's totally unnecessary. And, and so there's things like that that I don't get. We talked about the run distribution. And we saw that in the Washington game. Now, I can keep going on and on. That the Washington game, which he called, he was the offensive coordinator, and you know he had he'd been calling the plays from game one. You know, I think some people are still wondering about that. Helton's calling him. Now, Stark obviously would have been more involved um, early in the year um, than, you know, than, than now because he, he's not there. But, like, it came from Helton. You know, the, the way that they, they ran the offense, they managed it. And that Washington game where they scored 12 points, that came back to Helton. And that, there was that run distribution problem where they were averaging, like, you know, 3.8 yards or something per pass. I can't remember the exact numbers. And I think like 6.2 per run. And they ran 34 plays. uh, They ran on 34 plays and they passed on 34 plays. And so there's that weird distribution, even going back to that point, just like the Stanford game. And so he's done a lot of good things. I can't like dismiss all the all the, the good changes and positive developments have come under his watch, but the offense has kind of regressed under him. And that's what he does. That's his area. And so maybe when you get an offensive coordinator, right now he's Holt maybe wearing too many hats, then some of this will, will change. And, and, I mean, I guess we can't discount what kind of offense is, is his. Because he had had to run Stark's offense for a long time. It's hard to change that dramatically in season. So maybe, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves in that regard. I just am very skeptical, like usual, and suspicious of the direction of the team and of the program because of the way that they've been playing on offense for the two months that he's been in charge. Remember when our podcast, or our show, I should say, was fun, and I would call Rojo Rojo, and we could all laugh at me? <laughs> chalk. <laughs> yeah, chalk. Those were the good old days. If you're scoring at home, already early odds. I can't bet on USC-Alabama, like Swanee mentioned earlier in the show, but Wisconsin is plus three for the Holiday Bowl. I Meaning USC, just favored by a field goal. With bet that, the mortgage. Thank you. With that, we take a short break, and we'll be back in minutes. Blair Gulo is going to join us. We've got a new Rivals rankings. We've got your questions from the message board. Still got to recap the boys in the Bay Area. That just sounded all kinds of wrong. And we've got questions from the message uh, board. I think I said that already. I meant to say we've got Adam J. Maya's bumper sticker award. All ahead, the Trojan Sports Podcast for your Monday. You're listening to this week's edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and never miss a moment of your favorite fellas yapping about your Trojans each week. Plus, some fun and frivolity along the way. Okay. I, I don't think you realize, uh, last week in the podcast, you pronounced Rojo as Rojo. Did I? You did. Wow. Stay locked in. More of the Trojansports.com podcast next. Hey, it's the QB Sean Salisbury, and you're listening to the Trojan Sports Podcast right here on the home for everything USC. Everything USC. Trojansports.com. You're listening to the Trojan Sports Podcast on Trojansports.com. Powered by Rivals. Hi, this is Chris Morales. 
from Yahoo Sports Radio. For years, I've been an avid consumer of energy drinks. They gave me physical energy, but recently I discovered how to get more mental energy, and we could all use that with a little help from Mental Bright. Yes, Mental Bright is a health supplement for the brain. Mental Bright helps me focus. It helps me concentrate. Mental Bright is amazing. It's even helped my golf game. Go to mentalbright.com right now and learn more because this will give you mental health. Mentalbright.com. The shortest breaks known to man. The boys are back. This is the Trojansports.com podcast. And remember, everything you need for the best in-depth coverage of the Trojan, from recruiting to the message boards you love. It all lives on Trojansports.com from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. Back for your Monday, the Trojan Sports Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Search as Trojan Sports Talk and just hit that little subscribe button. Or always available at trojansports.com. We add Blair and Guo to the campfire. By the way, we come back with Annie Lennox. Why? The reason I play that and we put it in is because Chris Swanson just continues every week now to ask why. Why is all this happening? Why is USC doing this? Why does he do a show with us? Why is he up so early? All these things. Blair and Guo never ask why because he always has the answers, like recruiting answers. B and Guo on Twitter. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, did I hear campfire? Yeah, we. we I, I did a thing about a bit about how this is like the the campfire. We all huddle around. We got marshmallows. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask. Does it involve s'mores? Yeah, why not? Bring the graham crackers and your heartbreak kid poster. Okay. Now you got nothing to come back with. Anyway, oh, I'm just trying to figure out like who's bringing the chocolate. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, gosh. Adam Maya and Chris Swanson were on the road while Blair Guo was in a basement somewhere working on Rivals rankings. The guys went up to cover the Pac-12 championship game. And usually when these two travel on the road, in the times in the past, Michael Webb's been around to sort of keep them in line, but there was nobody there to keep them in line this time. So we wonder what happened on the road. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming they went into San Francisco and had one of Adam's Upper end meals. One of his uh, three hundred dollar dinners. I, yeah. I mean, clam chowder in a scourgle bread bowl. <laughs> you went Maybe. to the wharf. Yeah, it was eleven ninety five. So you stayed in San Francisco. We stayed in San Mateo, and we and drove. You, and you went up. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um. We we did a lot of things. That's a lot of effort. Okay, so we didn't make it back to Bongo Burger. I don't know if it's burger or burgers, but I mean burger is enough. <laughs> so I'm gonna call it Bongo Burger. But we didn't we didn't make it back there. We did make it to Taqueria El Nagarita. <laughs> wow. Have you, have you have you been there, Blair? <laughs> no, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a place to be in San Mateo and especially at one thirty in the morning. Uh, uh, Chris yes. do you wanna jump in here? Yeah, sure. I mean, Adam's hungry. I'm not. Adam's always hungry. So we go, we find, you know, a little taqueria, get a little, you know, Mexican food. We walk in the door. 
and uh, it's blaring. Karaoke. Yeah, it's well, it's packed. Yeah, it's just packed. I'm the only white person there. It's awesome. Um, and it's just there's just blaring karaoke. Uh, was it polka music? Is that what yeah, that is? I, I, don't, I mean, sure. And uh, I'm like standing an inch away from this woman's face at the counter, like screaming into her ear, <laughs> two tacos, carnitas. And she's like, carnitas. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was a very interesting experience. Adam and I couldn't talk to each other while we were waiting for the food, you know, because so, the music's so loud. I went to the restroom. I had to stand like four feet away from the toilet. Uh, and and just pray that I that I hit something. Wow. Yeah, it was it was funky. It was, yeah, uh, it was you're, interesting. You're but the food was the really part. good. Oh, okay. Yeah, the okay. food was good. No, but the best part, I mean, so that it was uh, an older crowd, right? Like, kind of like middle aged, you know, like forties, fifties, and, and it's one thirty in the morning, and then they're all up. I mean, they're doing it. They're doing the most. <laughs> And I mean, you had a number, you had a number of women here, who I mean, they, they had to be single, and I, 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 I caught a couple of them glancing at, at our boy Chris. Swanson. Well, that late, they're looking for action, my friend. They need to. Yes. It's almost, it's almost Quentin time. They they are are this is California, crowd. which means at two a.m. that that's going to get shut down. And a couple of the conquistadores were, were giving Chris the side eye. <laughs> Was it like the scene in Carlito's Way? Like uh, Chris walked in and El Watusi's playing in the background, and <laughs> he's he's gonna ask for a pool match to try to fight his way out. Oh my gosh! Boyer and Gubo has never heard of Carlito's Way. He's thinking. No, I love that movie, and uh, no, I but Blair has never I heard had, of it. Oh, Blair hasn't because he doesn't watch movies. No, but I movie. did have. I did have Sean Penn's suit on. You know, did you? Really fancy, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. That's that's my evening wear. Are those really fancy eighty suits with the, with the shoulder pads? Yes. It was white. I had a pink collared shirt on. You know, it was awesome. It was just like Carlito's way. Oh. And I was snorting coke in the bathroom too. That's, why. that's another reason why I was four feet away from the toilet. It's funny. I just did a uh, text with with Blair on Friday night because I was at Home Depot and I don't. Oh, I needed dip or something. I, I texted him. And I did an Al Pacino Scarface reference, and he had no clue about that either. So uh, Blair is just uh, not, he's just right now, he's just looking at his computer going, why am I on this right now? Blair, don't see Rise to Power. Skip <laughs> Carlito's way, just see the first one, okay? Yeah, Rise to Power, no good. No I'll good. on my Netflix queue. Yes, there you go. <laughs> go ahead. Hey, Swanson, you, you reminded me. You, <laughs> I don't know that anybody cares about any of this anymore, but you went to the bathroom there. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> Yes. So did you yell out, "Okay, I'm reloaded"? To get you, you, you trashed Pat Hayden for all his decision making, but yet you went to this bathroom at 1:47 in the morning at Taqueria El Nayarica. That's ballsy, my friend. I'm reloaded. Okay. Come on, I'm waiting for you. To be fair, I don't pull in Pat Hayden's salary. So that is true. Yes. I could make decisions like that and you know avoid all the poo on the floor and do all that. But yeah, Pat Hayden should be making better decisions than me since he's getting paid like a hundred times what I get paid. So. Next, you're, not, you're not a road scholar. <laughs> no, um, I just feel like I'm much smarter than a road scholar. There you go. Next football season, be sure Adam to take him to House of Prime Rib in the city. It actually is not that expensive, and uh, if you finish right. your prime rib, you get a complimentary cut. 
it's like their bit because you can never finish one cut. Uh-huh. But uh, very good, very good food. I was just talking to somebody here at Yahoo about that, and the House of Prime Rib is where you want to go in the Bay Area. Okay, so it sounds like uh, more run tr- road trip fun and frivolity, which we always expect from you guys. Speaking of fun, speaking of frivolity, it's Adam J. Maya and the Bumper Sticker Award. We cue the horn and the music and go, my friend. Okay. I don't like it usually go general with these, but I'm going to give it to every player on this football team. I really feel for them. You look at the unnecessary distractions that they deal with week in and week out, and they always come from within, and and rarely from, from them, but within the program at large. And, and this was no different. I mean, this week it was, and before the Stanford game, before their biggest game of the year, it's Clay Helton getting hired, which I know that was a, a gift for them, but it was an distraction too. And it, before the, the, the Notre Dame game, you know, the other biggest game of the year was when everything went down with Stark. It's like they can't just prepare for a week of football thinking about the game and going to class and just doing that. USC is a national news story. It seems like every 48 hours something happens. And and the kids are, are being mocked and, you know what I mean? They just they come under so much scrutiny and I just feel like it's so undeserving and so unfair a lot of the time. And so I just feel for them to, to think about the two biggest games of the year there are these huge distractions from within. You know, the other issue with um, retaining Helkin before the game is that you know that by doing that, they're not going to keep all the assistant coaches. And so now you have those guys trying to figure out their life and in the midst of preparing for that game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't think about that in the moment, but... That's going on. They, they they had to do that. And so last week even they're having a scramble and, and figure out with you know and, and figure out with Helkin, are you gonna keep me? Okay, you're not gonna keep me. Where am I gonna be moving? Where am I gonna be working? All these different things. And that trickles down to the players. And so I just see all these unnecessary distractions, um, year in and year out. It, it's always been kind of a part of the fabric of the program. And it's really sad. Um, and especially in the last couple of years. And think about everything they've, they've been through for the last three years or five years, going back to the when the sanctions came down. And and the players are the victims here, you know, time in and time out. And they're not even the ones that are that are uh, causing it, you know, and, and uh, at fault here. And so I give them my, my bumper sticker award. They're the they're the Trojans of the week and Trojans of the gay and. And they're the they're the true Trojans, and they're the ones that you know not to be corny here, but they're the ones that have to fight on. They're the ones that have to deal with it, and they do. And so, I guess I have a lot of admiration and respect for for each one of them on the team. Now, every time you give out a bumper sticker award, I want the our listeners to imagine an Oscar like Academy Award nomination split screen, you know, where they have like show six different people. Imagine me in one of those screens every week, fingers crossed, hoping to finally win the bumper sticker award in every week devastation. That's all. Really? Every week. 
And it said I love he, that award. He's going to give it. You were getting it this week? I thought I was going to get it at least one time over the last year and a half. You know, maybe I'm giving it to my boss because he's so cool. And yeah, he's nice to me. So just just know that it hurts me deeply. That's all. No, he's wow. going to give it to uh, one of those uh, FEMA highness from the Takaria before he gives it to you, my friend. <laughs> That's fine with me. I didn't know they were eyeing me. I would have liked a little heads up. A little, exactly. A little nudge. Say, hey, look, these 40-year-old women are kind of interested. Hey, they'll teach you right, my friend. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> it would have ruined Adam's night. Yeah, it ruined your night. I get it. Okay. Blair Angulo will soon not be able to eye women in a taqueria because he's going to be a married man. Meanwhile, though, he is covering recruiting. Month, yeah, like in right? a month. Yeah, I don't think any of us are invited, though. But no, uh, uh, coming up, he's going to... I wasn't expecting it to be invited. He covers yeah. recruiting. He is the rival's West Coast recruiting analyst. And there are new rival rankings, Blair Angulo. Yes, they are. The Tell rivals, us... A, yeah, the Rivals 100 were released uh, today and uh, on Monday. Uh, later this week, we'll have the Rivals 250 uh, for the whole recruiting class in 2016. And then next week, we have the new rankings for 2017. Uh, the Rivals 100 gets released first, and then the Rivals 250. Uh, and then there are a few f- new five stars in the 2016 rankings, uh, including Curtis Robinson, who's a linebacker athlete from here in Southern California at Modern Day. Uh, if you remember correctly, USC was in on him pretty heavily, and, and they were among his leaders until Stanford came in and offered. Uh, so he's heading up to Palo Alto for college. Um, he's a guy that was very impressive all season long, and I think that's one of those guys that not only USC but UCLA, where his mother is a professor, um, they will really regret not being in on him earlier than they were. Uh, I, I think they jumped in way too late because Stanford, you know, they're going to win some of those battles uh, that are academically driven. Um, so you need to hop in and make relationships as quickly as possible uh, to be able to, to, to really have an advantage. And uh, they didn't. So I think that's one that they might regret down the line. Um, and then Mike Juarez, he he stayed steady at number five overall. He's still the top-rated prospect in California, and obviously still considering USC. Uh, it's significant now that Peter Sermon appears to be staying on staff for next year. Uh, I know he really likes Coach Clay Helton as as a lot of other recruits do. Um, so I, I think you know, obviously that guy is, is one to keep an eye on here in the next week or so because the dead period begins next Monday and coaches aren't allowed to have in-person contact. They're not allowed to have contact with recruits and and uh, he's hoping to announce at the U.S. Army game. So you would imagine that all the relationships he's built over the last seven, eight months leading up to this day when he announces in January at the U.S. Army game, you would have to think that's that's really what he's going to base it off of. He's taking these visits to the likes of Ole Miss and Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma State was in there as well, but you don't really get a sense that he's looking to leave Los Angeles. So I think this is going to be firmly a UCLA-USC battle. I know Jim Mora and UCLA linebackers coach Scott White were in his home on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, USC will will definitely have to continue selling a future there for him. I know it's interesting to hear what Sue Cravens had to say after the game against Stanford. 
Um, and Adam, I, I know you have a pretty good feel for for you know where he stands and and what he wants to really hear from the NFL before he even makes an announcement. I, but I think the sooner the better for USC because then you can start building towards a replacement. And Mike Juarez would be a viable candidate to come in and, and play right away. We know Miles Jack has already uh, you know, announced that he's going to be entering the NFL draft. So UCLA has that recruiting pitch. Uh, and USC, I think the, the sooner they know, the, the better it is for them. Yeah, you may talk about Kua. I can talk about him. Um, I I spoke at length with him following the game, and and I mean I've been talking to him all year, and we've actually had a, a few conversations um, about this topic about him and his future, and I would tell you that I was convinced the entire year that he was gone. It just makes sense, you know. He's that good. And he's a three-year starter who's accomplished quite a bit, um, at least individually. And he was going to be a reasonably high draft pick. And those guys just usually go, you know. And so, anyway, after talking to him on Saturday night, I realized that there are some things that he's really toying with. I think that he sincerely does not know right now what he wants to do. Um, I know that he has a lot of pride about about what he's doing, about what he's accomplished, about his goals. And he said, if I'm not going first, or I'm not leaving if I'm not going first round. And I don't know if he's going first round. He, If he is, he's going at the end of the first round. But he very well might be going in the second round. And and with that much uncertainty, I mean, he I don't think he'll even get that like that guarantee. And it's not like Leonard Williams, like you knew he was going in the top ten. So he's going to have to make a decision without knowing for sure if he is going first round. And then he also wants to be an All American, a first team All American. He maybe should have been last year. I thought that he should have been, but uh, he wasn't. And this year, he, I don't know that he will be. I mean, we'll find out soon. I think that comes out within the next week. But he, he might not be a first-team All-American. And that's something because he has so much pride about being a Trojan that he didn't want to leave the university just being another guy. He wanted to kind of be on that All-American wall and, and be part of that, that, inner, you know, that inner fraternity. Of, of great players. And so I get it. I mean, he, he's that proud of, of being, you know, at that school and playing for this team. And so I also have been told that he really, really wants to play Alabama. He's recruited by a lot of the SEC schools and, you know, he wasn't going to go there, but it would be a big deal to him to go and, and play in that game and kind of show out, you know, and, and and show you know, should kind of be on a national stage, I think, and uh, demonstrate that he's one of the best players in the country, you know, in a like I said, on a big stage. So, what, what better way to play Alabama and be on a big stage than doing it at the NFL? <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? There's five Alabama guys on every NFL roster. 
And no, yeah. But no, I mean, it's one of those things where like you play against Notre Dame and he didn't get to play in a big bowl game. It's the holiday bowl again. That's it. And so who have they played in the last few years? Like what, what marquee matchup have they had outside of their conference? Yeah, I hear right. you. So, yeah, I, so I, I'm not saying that's like the reason to come back, and I don't think it would be the, the the big reason why he would come back, but there are these little things that I think he's weighing. And, I mean, I think the biggest deal is what he's been able to accomplish. Um, but then I've also been told, I mean, I've been told these things from, from a source who is very close to him, and the... And it's very balanced. There are reasons for coming back and reasons for for leaving. Um, another thing that really kind of shook him up was the injury to Cameron Smith, and and seeing him tear up his knee. And you know, Cameron's only a freshman, but he was you know witness to that. And on any play, these guys can can suffer even a career-ending injury. You know, I don't think that's what happened with Cameron. We hope we hope not, but. That's a very real thing. And so my hunch is that he'll leave. But if he did come back, here's why. Yeah. Uh, another guy I wanted to toss out there in, in relations to the uh, Rivals 100 rankings is USC mid-year signee Michael Pittman, who made one of the biggest jumps in the Rivals 250. Uh, he was last last time... Uh, he was ranked 158 overall. Now he's up to 42 overall. So that's, if we do the math correctly there and, and check me on this, that's a difference of 116 spots. Um, he was unbelievable as a senior this past season at Oaks Christian. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that I think we were wondering what he was, you know, whether he can play outside linebacker, whether he can play safety. Uh, would he be a pass rusher in some situations? Is he really a receiver? Would he only be a red zone threat kind of near the goal line where he can use his size? But I think he went out, and I asked him this his last game after the season. Um, I asked him, you know, is was that a big motivating factor for you uh, during the season? Or did, did you want to prove to people that you are a receiver first and foremost? And he kind of just smiled and said, yeah, you know, that that was the biggest thing for me heading into this year. I wanted to prove to people that I could play receiver. I'd only played receiver heading into my sophomore year. So really, this is only his third year as a receiver full time. So uh, he he really showed out uh, in that game that I saw him to, to end his high school career. He had over 380 receiving yards and five touchdowns. And this is going up against a, a cornerback that's committed to UCLA, going up against Tyler Vons, who's committed to USC. So he wasn't doing it against, you know, your little shrimp corner from, you know, Buena Park. You know, he was going, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, <laughs> he was going, he was going pretty hard uh, against a, a really good opponent. So um, the way he closed out his year uh, has to give USC. Uh, a lot of confidence that he can come in and, you know, obviously they have some depth there, receiver. You know, you have your Juju, Stephen Mitchell, some other guys, uh, the junior college guys that came in last year, Isaac Whitney and Daquan Hampton, probably going to be in there, and, you know, fighting for snaps. Um, you know, Darius Rogers. So I'm not sure there's enough balls to go around uh, heading into the year, but if he comes in early which he which he's planning to if he's there in spring practice and he's making an impact 
and he's in the playbook and and um, you know he has a good fall and a good summer I, I think he's a guy to keep an eye on for next year Blair yeah I um so you know I, I trust your judgment and Michael Pittman I mean he's gonna be a receiver yeah I, I think he has all the tools now you know before it's tough because in seven on seven he doesn't really look that imposing he's he's a guy that's he's not too fast there are guys that are quicker than him there are guys that have better hands than him there are guys that run better routes there are guys that are uh more physical you know um but michael pittman in pads is a completely different player you know he's a football Mm. player and he's a Mm -hmm. guy you need to see in pads before you make any sort of judgment i think that's why he had such a big jump in the rivals rankings yeah you know, we get so caught up in athleticism, but I think with receivers, that, well, I mean, it's way more important in the NFL, but at college, I just feel like there are ways in which you can be really productive and a, a very, very, very good receiver without being the, you know, the most athletic guy on the team. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, I think if you're at USC, you're thrilled that he's coming in early and, and can develop uh, early on. And, and you're thrilled that, you know, he's not going across town because you remember he he had been committed to UCLA for months and months. And they swooped in. They they identified him as a guy that they wanted and they got him. And, and I think that's that's a big win for them heading into signing day. He he seems like a guy who knows how to get himself open, right? Yeah, he uses his body very well. He, uh, you know, we don't really like to use this term "box out" uh, because it's not basketball, but he uses his body very well to generate uh, his own space, to create mm-hmm. his own lanes, to create a window where a quarterback could fit the ball. Um, and and he's he's kind of sneaky, you know he. He's a guy that probably won't blow by you, but he he'll 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 kind of beat you, you know, down low underneath so much mm-hmm. that on on you know two or three plays a game, if he fakes down low, he fakes a comeback route and goes up top, he's still fast enough, still quick enough to to beat you downfield. So I think he showed an all around uh, effect, effectiveness and and also a versatility that I think makes him a guy like I mentioned earlier that USC might expect to to contribute right away and thank you to Blair Angulo for the recruiting update and of course the new Rivals 100 you can find it at Rivals.com we cue the message board music time to get to all your questions as originally posed by Adam Meyer please drop them below thanks guys here we go Drew fight on and and Blair you could shed some light on this about my hatred for Badgers because you hear it often but Drew asked which one of our previous opponents is most similar to Wisconsin probably Utah right now um, they're going to play the same style of football. Uh, and, I, and I mean Utah right now in terms of not having a Devontae Booker and, and, and not being as great defensively as they were early in the season. Um, so I, I would compare them to what Utah is now. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I'm sorry. I just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm in so, uh, you know, involved with the Pac-12 Adam, Adam, not up on his Big Ten uh, knowledge. Yeah, Adam <laughs> hates the Big Ten. That's okay. I do, too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And, and Adam, thank you so much for admitting that you have no idea what's going on. Yes. On the I, can, podcast. I, can, that, I can say that. That's, that's, 
that's that's awesome. It's nice that on the campfire you can be raw with us and uh, and <laughs> Please share your. Please stick with us, sure. everyone. We know what wait, we're wait. talking about. We swear. <laughs> but more importantly, uh, Chris Morales was going to clue us in on why he hates Wisconsin. I just I hate Wisconsin. I've hated Wisconsin hoops for my entire uh, really life because uh, uh-huh. I grew up very early as a Duke fan. As you will see, the Duke basketball and the USC helmet that are on my desk here at Yahoo. But uh, I hate the Wisconsin Badgers. I really don't know why. I just always have. I, they hate- don't even have a rivalry. No, well, well, now they do, and on the hoops run. Uh, yeah. But but from you watching Wisconsin football, I really, actually, to to your point of hating the Big Ten, I really just always have hated the Big Ten, and really Wisconsin has always stuck out to me. So while they were on that run. In March Madison, of course, it led to ultimately them playing Duke in the national championship. Uh, Wisconsin's just really always pissed me off, and I just hate the Badgers. And it's become a bit on uh, on Blair and I's radio show, which uh, not a lot of people listen to, but that's okay. It's still a good bit. Okay, okay. Well, TrojanSports.com podcast. See how I was we being self-deprecating? I was being self-deprecating there. Actually, a lot of people listen to it. It's a great show. Uh, okay. W. Humphrey won. Notice how Blair just goes completely silent when I'm trying to, like, defend us or talk about our show. He just doesn't want any part of me outside of, like, the one day a week that we do the show. Does Clay Helton make good in-game adjustments? Lots of good changes after half times of games. Adam, take that, because I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I know what they're saying. I, I, got, I got Chris who want to do it. I already kind of talked about Chris, that. go ahead. Oh, um, I mean, I think that we've seen... You know, they've had some slow starts, and I think they have adjusted well after halftime in some games. The one the one thing that sticks out to me, though, is while there have been, you know, I think you can make an argument that he is good at making halftime adjustments, maybe even better than, you know, Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin. They've done it all against, you know, competition they should be beating. Uh, they were trailing teams that they shouldn't be trailing, and they adjusted to beat them, so... I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say because when they played, you know, a team with David Shaw as the head coach, they got outcoached. Um, I think it's a little too early to tell. I think there's signs that, yeah, you know, he does know what he's doing. He can't adjust and, you know, kind of change things around and get USC going after halftime or in game or whatever. But I'm not convinced yet. Well, okay. I I do have a thought here, too. Um, They've come back in in every game. Like, literally – all eight of them they came back from. They were trailing after the first quarter in all eight games <laughs> under Hellcat. And they came back in all of them. They won five. They they led in two of the other ones. And then they tied one of them. Um, at Oregon. They tied. They never led Oregon. But why are you falling behind? I mean, that, isn't that pretty concerning too? I mean, Stark was the opposite, where they got ahead in every game they played, no matter who they played, and then they couldn't hold on, and they didn't make the in-game adjustments, whether they were before or after halftime. But with Helkin, like, they have all week to prepare for the game, and then they fall behind every week. That was against even Colorado and Arizona and Cal, so to me, it's, it's just troubling. We move on. Trojans 22-157. What are some of the names being mentioned as possible new assistants? I think, guys, we covered that, but anything else to add? Um, I mean, yeah, we talked about Tyson Helton. Uh, we had a wartime weekly piece on him where 
Uh, we were told that USC is very much in it, which makes sense. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I would I re- think they would be in it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, but I mean, hey, it's worth <laughs> mentioning because nobody else has that report. Nobody else reported it. Nobody else has a source, you know, telling them that and actually quoted the source. And, you know, uh, who needs sources? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, we could just speculate. I knew four days ago that they were going to hire, you know, fire all these guys and everything because somebody told me. But anyway, um, you know, Ed Orgeron has been thrown out there, I think, by the media, Clancy Pendergast. USC's remaining tight-lipped on the whole situation, but, you know, those are the three names that I think everybody's speculating on. We know for sure that Tyson Helton's under consideration, you know, as I mentioned. So those are the three to keep an eye on for now, I would think. Well, and I'm going to put this out there. Kim Drebno, former offensive line coach, now at Michigan, started following me on Twitter Sunday night. <laughs> I, wow. I, I, don't, I don't think he's coming, but I, that was random. I mean, he didn't follow me for the year that he was at USC. Cue the breaking news sound effect. Well, oh, now he's, he's probably curious to find out like what's going on with his old buddies. Yeah. yeah he I, wants to be on the campfire. We love him, by the way. Mark Usman, 25. Do you expect Helton to return SC back to a pro-style offense next season? And if so, should he use the weeks leading up to the bowl game to start that transition? Or should he stay with whatever you would call the current offense we have now and wait until offseason <laughs> to make change? Meanwhile, by the way, real quick, it is uh, December 7th, which means the game is December 30th. That's plenty of podcast ahead for us to preview Wisconsin and to learn all about the Badgers. So yeah. don't worry. We will know plenty. Uh, I've tossed this question over to you, Adam. I think he might. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of depends on who he hires as a coordinator. He said that he won't be calling the plays next year. So I expect that whoever he brings in, you know, it's going to be their offense, what they want. Um, it's been hard to know who Helton is as an offensive guy because he's coached under Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian, who were both very controlling offensive guys, and he had to carry out their system. But my feeling is, you know, he wants to be a, a run-first guy, which he kind of had been, but he, until the Stanford game. But he doesn't. I don't, what about the quarterback situation? You know, I mean, Max Brown, pro style quarterback. He, you know, th- that will work out well. But then Sam Darnold physically can probably run a lot of different offenses. But I wouldn't just put him in the pro style category. And then Matt Fink, not a pro style quarterback. And Tua Tagovailoa, not a pro-style quarterback, you know, if they get him. Or if they can flip Kate Markell, you know, not really a pro-style quarterback. So the way that they've recruited it, uh, you know, it, it, it seemed like it was consistent from Darnold to, to, uh, to sorry, help me out here, to Fink, to Markell, Tagovailoa, but that, that's the future. And, and these are going to be the guys that you're working with, then you have to tailor an offense around them. Meanwhile, uh, I just see, and I want Blair and Gubo's quick thoughts about his San Francisco trip. Is he going to be making the trip to San Francisco to, for the Foster Farms Bowl? Nebraska and UCLA, 12-26, a tradition unlike any other. Blair? No. Okay. No, uh, I've got uh, I've got a lot of wedding planning to do. Oh, that did is right. Guys, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you guys know I, I had a photo shoot did the you? other day? Yeah. Engagement Ooh. photos. Yeah. Oh, is that why we haven't gotten our invitations? Because that photo is going on <laughs> in the invitation? Uh, yeah. 
I, 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 I guess so. Well, okay. we may not be Blair and Guo's favorite, and we don't get the invitation to the wedding. We know that many of you out there, there's many weddings of USC coverage that you can go to. You don't ha- we don't have to be your favorite. Just spend a few minutes with us around the campfire each week and come to Trojansports.com. We hope you're, we're your favorite, but we don't mind if you, no, if you go to the other awkward, weddings. Right? You know, we, we don't mind if you sit at a few extra tables. Just always come back to our table and check in. Well, I say that. Nick from Cyprus, our old friend. First, I want to say thank you to all the Chris's on this podcast. Yeah. From Rodriguez Morales. The bit there for people that don't know is that Nick has had a tradition of calling me Chris Rodriguez, not Morales. And while we thought it might have been a joke, it wasn't. He really thought my name was Rodriguez. Swanson and my bro. By the way, while you guys were in the Bay Area at the Taqueria, I'm sure there was a Rodriguez and a Morales in the house. Oh, of course. So was it me? And a Swanson. (laughs) And a Swanson. There's only one Swanson. I can guarantee that. Guarantee. Four four Rodriguez's. And seven rounds. So was it me, or did this Pac-12 title game remind you of the Oregon game, where we started off slow, picked it up, caught up, and then a fumble return, touchdown, started the route? Well, I sung the blues at my boy's house, and it looks like the half the staff is singing the blues as well after Saturday. Next is questions. I don't know why I'm reading this verbatim. Usually I don't do that with next questions, but that's okay. Adam, is there any awkward stories with Swanson? Well, I think we've covered that. Next, who are you surprised got fired? From, for Nick, it's Chris Wilson. Next, who are some names to replace these coaches? Last, what are your thoughts on the bowl game versus Wisconsin at Qualcomm Stadium? Two years in a row in San Diego. This is awesome. Fight on. I think that's sarcasm from Nick. Adam? I, I think he meant it. Oh, um, maybe he did. Yeah, he, he always <laughs> means it, okay? Um, okay, I'm trying to remember what the first question was. Um, okay, we covered the awkward stories. As much as who are you surprised that got fired? Okay. Um, no, um, I, uh, I was surprised by who didn't get fired. We are, yeah, we kind of talked about names to replace these coaches. My thoughts on going back to San Diego. It's a consolation to me. I really wanted Vegas before Christmas because, you know, I would like to not work on Christmas. Right. I'm one of those guys. And, um, and that won't happen. And so, it would have been easy to knock it out before the holidays. But San Diego, I can drive there. I can bring my family. I can be with my family on Christmas, more or less. So, I'm okay with it. Eh. I mean, a Rose Bowl would have been number one, right? But Yes, we, we yeah. wanted to be smelling roses. Yeah. By the way, all I think is the great uh, once uh, Los Angeles and Southern California broadcaster, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. They used to go San Diego, for many of you that might know that. Many of the people listening know that reference. Of course, Hacksaw Hamilton and his yeah. San Diego bits. Versatile John 20. Damian Mama has been destroying, <laughs> decimating, and dominating people the last two weeks. He has been looking like Deuce with Tui in 2005. I hope I said that right. If not, that's going to be a new highlight. What do you guys attribute this improvement in his physical style of play as of late? Well, they've been rationing his, car- his uh, snaps a little bit. I think that's a part of it. I mean, there's been endurance issues with him and Zach Banner, and they're not able to usually go the full game. If you remember back to the UCLA game, Damian, I think he only played like a dozen snaps up until the fourth quarter, and then he pretty much played the entire fourth quarter when they were able to run it down UCLA's throat. And so... That's probably a part of it where he's more effective in a a limited role. But I think that he's always had it in him. I I think he's been a bit inconsistent, but he has a a high ceiling. You know, he can be a great player 
for him it's a matter of being able to do it more 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 79 usc 83 how long has cody been hurt now that that's an interesting question we've asked that you know I, i've asked that and it's been dismissed when i when i talk to you know to the team about it but i think there's something going on i think physically he hasn't been right you know i mean he doesn't have that one physical trait that is going to allow you to begin with but i just feel like his arm action and his velocity has regressed and and chris something. you've been saying that a lot too that there's something going wrong. on in that shoulder right chris you've been saying that a lot as well yeah uh well you know i just i just want to say too is yeah i think i think he has regressed it won't surprise me if he if it's because he's hurt i think it's I know USC wants to win. They want to make their opponents feel like they have to prepare for every aspect of their game. They're doing Cody Kessler an incredible disservice if he's hurt and they're playing him and they're not saying anything because basically, you know, the fans have turned on him. Uh, They blame him for so many of their problems. And before the season, he was like a hero to many of them. And I just find it, I think it's really sad if he is hurt and that's a reason why he hasn't been playing so well that, you know, if that is a reason that, that these fans have, you know, turned on him, started to blame him, hold things against him. And, you know, it might not really be his fault if he is hurt. Maybe, you know, maybe he shouldn't be playing. Maybe, you know, we should understand how limited he is. Um, so I hope that if it is true and he is banged up, that it comes out eventually for his sake more than anything. Well, and their, their judgment was that he gave them the best chance to win. And while I understand that because he's a third-year starter and a fifth-year senior, my personal opinion, as we put out there over and over, I believe, I don't agree. I don't, I don't believe he's given them their best chance to win at this point. Shooter McGavin, 22. What's the deal with Mike and his announcement? January 9th seems so late, especially considering school starts before then. Boyer and Gubo. Yeah, I think uh, he's always wanted to announce at the U.S. Army game. He was even saying that when he was committed to USC. Uh, so I think he's always had that date in mind. Um, and, and these guys that go out to All-American games, you know, they don't, they they don't step onto campus until after they get back from that. So you know, either way, uh, I think he needs he wants to um, you know announce there and then wherever he goes, uh, step foot on campus. Um, you know, obviously some of these other schools he's considering um, don't start until after that game. So that's obviously something too to to keep an eye on. When does UCLA begin? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. Let me do a quick yeah <laughs> let's go to the Blair and Gulo computer like the what? back computer in the old 60s show as it's dialing up the answer yeah, Blair just text one of the coaches I think I'm cute I know I'm sexy I've got the looks that drives the girls wild I've got the mood this is the Trojansports.com podcast See, much like in the old 50s television shows when it would go to that screen music while something was going on, technical difficulties, this wasn't technical. It was just a mere few seconds of the heartbreak kid for Blair and Gulo to look up answers. Adam, you also have an answer, right? Yeah, yeah. USC actually begins on the following Monday after the Army All-American game on January 11th. Yeah, and it looks like UCLA kicks off its, its winter quarter with they're on the quarter system. 
across town. Uh, that's on January 4th. Uh, but, you know, there's obviously some things that could happen where you go in a little late or there's, you know, Ooh. there's... The other thing, too, is that it doesn't matter for a guy like Mike Juarez because they also have a spring quarter. So he, theoretically, he doesn't have to be in there for the winter quarter. He could, he could, he could be there early for the spring quarter, if that makes sense. It does, and he'd be able to compete in spring practice. Right, right, okay. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, it, so for for him being an early enrollee at UCLA, they have so many other avenues they can go about it because right. he can be in there early for spring quarter instead of being late for winter quarter, if that makes right. sense. Or he just doesn't have to go to class. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got you were going to say, actually. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. There we go. Marty SC Psych. Adam, Chris, what are your opinions of Johnny Nansen, both as a running backs coach and, more importantly, special teams coach? Do you feel that he met both of these responsibilities well enough to have been retained on staff? Thanks for your reply. <laughs> Thank you, okay. Marty. I'm going to make a giant fart noise and throw a <laughs> thumbs down out there as my assessment of Johnny Nansen. I don't understand. When, when Steve Sarkeesian's staff got brought in, I didn't understand how you're firing John Baxter, who is widely considered one of the better special teams coaches in the country, and Tommy Robinson, who is a running backs coach for the Arizona Cardinals, to bring in Johnny Nansen. I don't understand why he's getting retained either. The special teams have been atrocious, and the running backs, I mean, he's done a good job with recruiting them, but it's not like they've been developed further under his leadership or anything. The guys that are running around like crazy have, you know, pretty much been doing that their whole career at USC. Impressive freshman class, though, so maybe that's, they're retaining him for recruiting purposes. But as I mentioned to Adam earlier in the show, why are you retaining any coach for a recruiting purpose at USC? So I think it's silly. I think I already made that clear earlier, but I'll make it clear again. I think it's silly. There you go. Marty SC, ask another question. Does help go for it? Go back to prior SC coaches for defensive coordinator and defensive secondary coaches, or does he take his time and go after the best coaches out there, despite no history with the Trojans? Chris, gonna, please. Well, sure, I'll do it. He said okay, he said he's going to take his time. Uh, I don't think that taking your time really has anything to do with whether or not the coach is going to have a USC connection or not. But he said he's going to take his time. I believe him. Um, I think it's the smart thing to do to get the right fit. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if, if you know, the, some of the coaches he brought in have USC connections. I mean, you know, we mentioned the two names that are kind of being floated out there, Ed Orgeron and Clancy Pendergast. And, uh, you know, USC is obviously scared to hire anybody that doesn't have a USC connection. So that wouldn't surprise me at all if, uh, if the guys he hired did. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. I mean, they've kind of kept enough of the staff together to have, you know, that, that feeling of, Okay, there's you know there's some uh, some continuing uh, you know they're they're keeping these guys together. There's you know a connection there with the the players. You don't really need to go back to somebody that's been at USC, but it wouldn't surprise me if it if it happened. Yeah, I, I guess we're gonna find out how much pull he has because to bring in some of these maybe top position coaches or a top coordinator from an outside program that you're not really associated with directly, that individual, it, it takes a lot of sway. And like, so I, I think of like Jim Harbaugh going back to Michigan, and he could probably get anybody he wanted to leave wherever they were to go coach with him. And I mean, Lane Kiffin had that too. Sark pretty much brought his friends from Washington. 
Clay Helkin, I don't know yet who he can who he can bring in. He's been at USC for a while. He'll probably bring back a couple guys that he's had at USC that he's worked with. But can he bring a, a top coordinator um, or an up and coming uh, position coach from another program in which you know he he wasn't involved with Memphis and Houston are his roots? I don't know. There you go. And final question, Drew, we are working on maybe a legal angle. We've got plenty of weeks ahead to fill some time before the Holiday Bowl. And, of course, this story most likely will be ongoing. Our very own McKenna has tweeted out, at, what, what did somebody on the board call her, hotter than Georgia's south pavement or something last week? Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, he took it back. Oh, that's he right. Apologized. He did it. Yes, yes, he, he did. Apologized. Did he? Okay. Yeah, but then he like, went and said, like, was I spot on? Oh, okay. with, uh, he obviously is attracted to her. Yes, so there you go. Anyway, McKenna, yeah. who we want to know for journalism purposes, has tweeted out the LA Times piece that has the entire complaint, the legal briefing. You can read all through it uh, there from Sark versus USC. Sark Enterprises, Inc., actually, versus USC. Thank you thank you for listening to this week's Trojan Sports Podcast. Blair Angulo at B. Angulo, at Adam J. Maya, at Chris P. Swanson. Get ready for the Holiday Bowl, kids. Get that mistletoe, and we'll talk to you next Monday for your campfire fun. The Trojan Sports Podcast, direct from Trojansports.com. You're not allowed to listen to anything else. Holla. I'm reloaded! Okay?